Tonight we're going to cover a couple of chapters uh, and finish up uh, 2 Corinthians. It feels like we've been in 1st or 2nd Corinthians for a long time, so we're going to finish it up tonight. We're going to cover chapters 11 and chapter 12, and I uh, told Aaron earlier this week I was tempted to just not prepare for tonight, and I got this kind of idea uh, because I was watching a video that uh, Francis Chan put out, and I was sitting in a hotel room, I was traveling, and I was watching this Facebook Live, and uh, I told Aaron, I called her in the middle of it, and I said, I've just broken down in tears because there was a point in the beginning of it where he read a letter that his daughter had written him before he, she was going away to college, and it just broke me, just uh, the way she admired and uh, loved her dad. But he stood up there that night, uh, or during that day and during that broadcast, and he said, listen, I, yesterday and the day before and the day before, I had prepared this message uh, and I went through it and went through it and went through it. And then God just convicted me last night and just said, hey, just scrap the whole thing and just stand up there and speak whatever God puts on your heart. And, uh, and I thought, wow, I'm going to do that one day. You may not like it, but I'm going to do that one day. It just goes against my personality to over-prepare and over-prepare. But he said, I'm just going to stand up here. And, of course, Francis, he's awesome. He does a good job of doing things like that. But it kind of ties into to these uh, verses tonight because one of the verses that he he talked about that kind of gave him this inspiration to just stand up there and, and speak whatever God put into his heart without anything being scripted. We have a similar verse here in our scripture tonight in chapter 11 and verse 6. It says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. That wasn't the verse he talked about, but what Paul's really saying is, is I'm not necessarily the greatest speaker in the world, but I'm going to make this very plain and very simple to you. And the scripture that uh, Francis used, that was his kind of inspiration for just speaking whatever God uh, put on his heart, came from 1 Corinthians. Going way back to the beginning of when we started our series, you'll probably remember this. It says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Paul does, he says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's the verse that he used, Francis did, to say, you know, listen, I could talk very eloquent and with a lot of human wisdom and and it can really maybe sound good, but I want to speak tonight uh, what God has given me. And there's a little bit of a backstory to these verses, and in particular, this first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it's if you look back on Paul's kind of first and second missionary journey, which the book of Acts we know talks about, uh, before he came to Corinth, Paul was in Athens. And there's a couple of different places if you went over, and you can study this during the week, but in chapter 17 of Acts, uh, in verses 16 and 17, it says, Now, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And that word reason, that word there really means argue. So he's really there debating and he's arguing with with these people in in this place. And then after that, when he comes over to Corinth, It talks about that in chapter 18. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And then down in verse 4 of chapter 18, it says, and he reasoned in the synagogue. He argued with them. He debated with them. 
every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. While Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. So again, he's, he's really debating and he's arguing. And somewhere, we don't really know where, this is probably occurring during his second missionary journey. He did three. But somewhere along the way, Paul has kind of really decided that maybe the best way isn't this arguing and debating. Maybe the best way is the way he categorizes it over in 1 Corinthians 2, that I'm just going to come to you not with lofty speech and wisdom and debate and arguing, but I'm going to come to you with one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? Amen. So Paul is kind of wised up here, if, if you will. And I started thinking about this in just the context of the day, I mean, it's something for us to learn from just this, isn't there, in, in kind of how we handle ourselves today? I mean, when I look around and I see what's going on in, in our world, I see a lot of arguing coming from both sides, even from the Christian, right? I see like, man, we're going to defend our position, and we're going to argue with you, and we're going to debate you, and we're going to tell you why we're right and you're wrong, right? A lot of reasoning going on. Maybe there just needs to be more of Jesus. And that's really what Paul has decided here. And when you get over into Corinth, he's kind of changed the way he's approaching this. But tonight, in these two chapters, he kind of has a little bit of a flashback, honestly. All right? He kind of goes back and forth here to talking about Christ and Christ alone uh, to arguing and debating. But he's doing it in a way to really kind of make a point. Uh, that's what he's doing. He's trying to exaggerate to make a point, and he's still dealing with these super apostles that Anthony talked about last week, and thank you, Anthony. You did a great job. I appreciate you doing that. It's these super apostles that are really false apostles, and if you remember, they've been, for really the whole two books of Corinthians, they've been coming after Paul uh, you know, and trying to tear him down. Well, they're not just trying to tear down Paul. They're also trying to impact the church and lead the church astray. So that's what Paul is really dealing with here in chapters 11 and 12 are these apostles, these false apostles that are leading this church in Corinth away from God. And he starts there in verse 1. It says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Now, that foolishness is not a direct word to this reasoning and arguing, but I think you'll be able to see as we go through this, because Paul's talking a lot about his boasting, could be a, easily uh, interpreted as an uh, argument. You know, he's really kind of saying, hey, I'm going to give me a little grace here. I'm going to act stupid for a little while, and, and I'm going to argue with you some more. I'm going to do a little boasting and a little arguing. And he tells us why there in verse 2. He says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So basically he's just saying, listen, I was here. I helped disciple you. Uh, if you look back over in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how he's their father in, in, in Christ. So he's just saying, listen, I... I, I, I lived with you. I, with, through my blood, sweat, and tears, I, I showed you to Christ. I took you to Christ. I helped lead you to him. But now, in verse 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus 
than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So he's basically saying, listen, these guys are leading you down a really bad path, and I'm afraid that you're going to keep following them. And you may be doing it just because you're just accepting it. It's just kind of happening, and you're kind of going along with it. And what they say is very appealing to you. And it's got me really, really worried. Really, really worried. In fact, he describes kind of what they're doing and what these false apostles are all about. If you jump over into verse 13 of chapter 11, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Man, that's scary, isn't it? Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So is it no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness? You know, I just look at that and I think, man, this is so, so relevant for today. So, so relevant for today. We have so many people that you could identify with this statement. False prophets, if you will. I mean, they come from all walks of life. And some now are given a voice that they didn't have before because of social media. But, I mean, you look no further than to just politicians. I mean, I saw recently where Bernie Sanders basically you know, made the argument that if you're a Christian, you couldn't even serve in public life. You know, and that's not, that's not Democrat or Republican. That's crazy. <laughs> that's just crazy, right? And let me tell you, um, the celebrity world, listen, to me, when I read this, I just see celebrity, right? What does it say? So, um, so it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. I mean, think about what the, really the liberal world is selling today their own brand of righteousness, right? In fact, they've labeled us as bigots and said, hey, you just don't understand. What I believe, what I'm saying, even if it goes against the word of God, that's really what's right, right? God is not right. I'm right. This is what's right. This is my standard, what I believe in, what I want to be the truth. They're doing exactly what Paul was saying these false prophets are doing, okay? And we sometimes read the Bible and we put it in this kind of context of way back then, not relevant to today, but you could write this same thing about today, that we've got a whole big church that's just following people. In fact, there's a whole word for it. It's called uh, celebrity worship. You ever heard that? I... uh, Pulled this out. I've got some quotes here and some notes. I do have a few notes. Not that many, but I have a few notes. And here's this one. It says, celebrity worship. Uh, one psychologist defines it this way. In our societies, celebrities are like a drug. He says, celebrity worship at its heart seems to feel something in a person's life. It gives them a sense of identity, a sense of self. It feeds a need. I mean, that to me just sounds like another Jesus. Right? That's what he's warning them about. If you go back there in the beginning, he's right. If someone comes to you and proclaims to be another Jesus and then he ties that into self-righteousness, really what they're just saying is, listen, I'm the way. This is the way you should act. This is the way you should treat people. This is the way you should accept anything and everything, no matter whether it goes against God's word or not. 
And too often, I think we could find ourselves like these uh, Corinthians where we just kind of go along with it, you know, and we just kind of accept it. And, you know, we just kind of slowly over time start leaning that direction because it's just being spoken really loud in your ears all the time, right? It's just coming at you all the time. And that's what they're getting, you know, because Paul's not with them every day. You know, I, I, I'm not with you every day. I don't, I don't get to stand and do this every day with you, right? Paul wasn't with them every day. And while he was gone, he had all these other people that were influencing him whether it would be media or radio or TV or social media, all these self-righteous servants of, Christ, of Satan that were leading them astray. And that's what, he's, that's what he's talking about here. And we could label all kinds of things in our lives, couldn't we, as, as another Jesus. It doesn't have to be celebrity. It's not just the politician. You know, it's really anything that's, that's leading you away from Christ. And that's what we're talking about here is it's leading you away from Christ. And what, what Paul is, is, is trying to tell them is, listen, don't do this because it's going to end really bad. Okay? This path you're on, it's going to end badly. And he talks about that. If you look down in uh, verse 18, he says, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools. Being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on air or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. What he's saying there basically is, listen, you're following all of them, all right, and you think that you're headed the right direction and you think things are going good, but you don't understand they're making a slave out of you. Okay, they're making a slave out of you. They're about to devour you. And isn't that kind of really what sin does? I mean, it looks really good going in, doesn't it? But boy, when you get there, it's not nearly what it was sold to be. And that's what he's saying to them. He's like, listen, wake up. Open your eyes. You just don't see what's happening here. This is going to end really, really bad. You're headed down a path and you don't know it, but you're just getting lulled to sleep here. And it's going to end really badly for you. And then he goes on to say, listen, I could be like them. I could, I could boast about things. I could tell you all kinds of great and wonderful things about me. And he does it. And that's why he keeps saying, allow me to speak like a fool. That's what he's talking about when he starts there in verse uh, 21, the second part, where he says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking now as a fool. I also dare... To boast of that, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. He's basically just saying, listen, I'm the Jew of all Jews, right? I have the, the most purest bloodline. Okay, there's no way you can go toe-to-toe with me. There's none better, none better than me if you want to look at it from a human standpoint. And then he said, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman now with far greater labors, more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 39 lashes was kind of the maximum punishment that you could get in that day. That's why he says 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, 
danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is daily pressure on me from the anxieties from all the churches. Who is weak, I am not weak. Who is made to fall, I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Christ, he's, he's saying, listen, Christ and him crucified, that's my new message. It's not about me. It's not about what I've done. I could do this just like they've done this. I could try to lead you with these big elegant speeches and, and all my wisdom and my accomplishments, but none of that matters to me. It's all about Christ. That's really what he's saying. It's all about Christ. It's not about me. And he goes on in chapter 12 there at the beginning, more boasting, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to the visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man, and everybody, even though he's saying this in third person, all the scholars would tell you that he's really talking about himself. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. And that third heaven is not necessarily three levels of heaven. He's talking about the sky and then space and then heaven. Paradise is what he's going to refer to it as. I've caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of body. I don't know, but God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in my weakness. Again, he's saying, listen, this is not about me. Okay, stop being misled by these guys that are just talking about them and what they believe and what's, what's righteous to them. This is not about them or it's not about me. This is about Christ. It is in my weakness that he's about to tell us he is made strong because this is the part of this chapter that we've all read and we know. And it's, it's kind of got a strange placement when you think about it unless you look at it in the context of, that we've kind of set forth, which is, you know, Paul had this, you know, whatever it might be called a revelation and says, listen, I'm tired of arguing and I'm going to start now just preaching Christ and Christ alone. He said, Christ and him crucified, right? But then here he's kind of making this exaggerated point by boasting and talking like a fool. But then he kind of interrupts it here starting in verse 7 and he says, listen, just as a great reminder that all of that reasoning and arguing wasn't what it was about, that it's really just about Christ and him crucified, then you know, God was good enough to me to give me this thorn. And this is the much debated thorn that I'm sure you guys are all familiar with out of Scripture. But let's read and talk about it for a minute. He said, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it may that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this is, as I said, the most one of the more debated things in the Bible uh, that really, I don't know 
if having the right answer matters or not, but it's an interesting discussion, and that is, what is this thorn? You know, what is this thorn that Paul has talked about? There's lots of speculation about what this thorn is. Some people think it is vision. He had bad eyesight. Okay, so they think it's his vision. Some people would say it's, he's not a good communicator, didn't like to speak in public. Could be. I mean, there's translations. I did a lot of studying on this this week, and I've done it before. Um, could be, I guess. I don't think so in my own mind, my own heart. You know, what I really believe this is is just a little bit of regret. A little bit of regret. You know, Paul had lived a really kind of tough life, especially when you measure it up against Christ. You know, murdered Christians. I think he had a lot of things he wished he could have done differently. You know, and I think that's part of what kept him from getting too prideful. He it kept him humble. You know, he remembered where he had been. And then this is a tough sentence here too. I mean, this is a tough passage. I mean, he says it's a thorn. And this thorn, it's not like a little uh, briar bush. He's talking about a stake. Okay, so it's like sticking a stake in your side is what he's saying. In the flesh, and again, the flesh could be your body. It could just be you as a person, right? My soul. It's like, a, it's like somebody stabbing me. And he says, it's a messenger of Satan to harass me. That word harass in some translations is torment. And in the King James Version, it's buffet. And if you look at where that's used elsewhere, you could go over and look in Mark 14 or Matthew 26. And when they had taken custody of Jesus in the garden and brought him back before the council, and it says that they were spitting on him and they buffeted him. They struck him, basically. They hit him. So he's comparing this to the way Christ was beaten and spit on at the crucifixion. And then he says to keep me from becoming conceited. Again, if you looked at the King James Version, it says to exalt myself above measure. The only other place that's really used in the Bible is if you go over into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the Antichrist. And basically in that uh, book, that chapter, he's saying, listen, there was a lot of people confused. They didn't know if if there's the second coming had, had already come, he's like, no, it hasn't. Because when that happens, the Antichrist will be revealed and let go, and he will exalt himself above measure. So when you kind of look at this, it's like Paul's saying, okay, I've got this stake in me, shoved in my side, basically, okay, to keep, as a messenger from Satan, to beat me like Christ was beaten when he was crucified, to keep me from acting like the Antichrist. That's strong, isn't it? I mean, that's strong. And, you know, when I think about that, I, I, I have to wonder, you know, what do I make of this? I mean, how do, how, do I, how do I translate this into my life? You know? It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, think about Paul. I mean, this guy's living for Christ in a big way right now. I mean, he's planting churches everywhere. He's been on several missionary journeys, and yet he's got this thorn, this thorn that, that, that feels like he's being beaten, like Christ was beaten, and it's all there to keep him from acting like Satan. I mean, do you, do you think we have those kind of thorns today? Yeah, I think so. I think you could look at those, those thorns as like trials almost, can't you? I mean, I'll, 
I pulled this story out of uh, the Dallas Morning News. Uh, I don't know if it, I guess it was maybe last week or the week before. I can't re- remember now. Maybe it was the week before. And I was getting up that morning, and I had to fly to Birmingham. And I think I've probably told you this a bunch of times, but I've got like almost, I think, four and a half million miles right now on airlines, and I hate to fly, <laughs> okay? And I hate to sleep in hotels, so I spent most of my life terrified without sleep. That's a tough thing, all right? Uh, so that morning, I was getting up to fly to uh, Birmingham into the middle of the hurricane. It was when the hurricane was coming on. I didn't want to go. I didn't feel like going, and I'm just praying, you know, God, just protect me, uh, bring me back to my family. I've still got work to do. You know, don't take me out of the game yet, God. And then I read the paper that morning, and I see this story of this young man here, uh, Austin Silva, and I don't know if you read the story, but Austin went in to get his wisdom teeth taken out and never came out of it. And, you know, what really struck me about the whole thing is, is that, uh, I forget where it's at here in this, he says in that morning they looked at his journal. In his journal, he had written on there, here it is, in his journal that morning he had written down, the Lord will take care of me. I mean, I'll tell you, that hit me hard. <laughs> You know, just kind of sitting there thinking to myself, okay, well, all right, what makes me any different? I mean, I'm praying, Lord, take care of me. Probably not even nearly with as much faith as he did. I mean, he put it in the affirmative. I know the Lord's going to take care of me. I'm sitting there begging for it. What does that mean? How do I interpret that? How do I think through that? And I tell you, it was hard. Because I guarantee you that, you know, when he was laying there in ICU, I promise you, that his parents, who were godly parents, they were tended watermark. I promise you, they were begging God to take this away. Begging them. Don't you know? It's like Jared talked about tonight, when the war comes to you, when you can see it. I'm glad he said that, because I always tell people, you know, the most memorable thing that Jared Stevens has ever said since I've sat under his preaching is when he taught that or he preached that message some time ago where, you know, if you just saw the war that was going on around you, you'd be on your knees every day begging God for help. But we don't see it. We don't think about it that way, right? So when it comes, we're unprepared. But don't you know they were begging him, begging God to take this away? And he didn't. That was hard for me to reconcile in my mind, and I don't really have a good answer for it, really. All I can say is that I know this. I know that God takes bad and uses it for good all the time. And I know that we tend to, as humans, equate kind of good things with being in God's will and bad things as being out of God's will. Way, way too much, right? That's kind of the way we look at things. You know, and that wouldn't settle well with Apostle Paul because his whole life was a trial. I mean, I just read you a partial list of the trial. I mean, he wasn't out chasing kids to soccer games, all right? He was out chasing people to the ends of the earth for Jesus Christ. And it wasn't easy. It was one trial after another over and over again. So I started thinking, what is it that makes Paul so special? You know, and I have people that talk to me about this, and I've asked it myself, and I've heard people say this. It's like, listen, I could be more like Paul if I just could see Jesus the way he did. You know, if I could just have that same encounter that he had, then maybe I could act like Paul. Well, let me just tell you, if you're a Christian, you've had that encounter. It's not about the encounter. Let me tell you what it's about. It's about the vision. 
Remember when Paul had the encounter, he was blinded, right? And then God removed the scales from his eyes, gave him vision. You know what Paul could do? He could see through the eyes of God. That's how he saw the world, is the way God saw the world. That's why he could do what he could do. It wasn't just the encounter. I got a whole room full of people with encounters. But do you see? Do you see the way, the way God sees the world? I mean, we all have that ability, right? That, that song we just talked about, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now what? I see. We all have this ability to see like God. But we don't, do we? We tend to get blinded. We get blinded by the world. We don't see things the way God sees things. But if we will, if we will see things the way God sees things, then we're going to do a number of things. I got three I want to give you, though. Three that I think that will help. And I got them on the hand out there. If we see life as God sees life, then we're going to do at least these three things. One, we're going to embrace the cross. We're going to embrace the cross. That's what Paul is saying. It's, it's about Christ and him crucified, right? That's all that matters. Christ and him crucified. See, we tend to think of, of life necessarily. We want it to be this good, happy, easy life. Jared talked about it tonight, right? He said, we tend to want it to be like a country club. Okay, let me just check the box. Let me just come to church. Let me attend the Bible fellowship. Hey, I'm, if I attend the Bible fellowship three times a week, you're in the top 2%. Okay? Okay, maybe the top 1%. So, gosh, if you come four times, you're like, I don't know, you're like LeBron James. I mean, you really, you're the superstar of all superstars. But we do this, right? We want things to be easy. I mean, we pray for easiness all the time. You know, let's be honest. When we really pray for our country, really what we're praying is, God, make it easier on us as Christians. Can you just make it easier on us? But listen, that's not really what Paul's saying, is it? He's trying to, what Paul's really, in everything he writes, he's really just trying to get us to change the way we see things. He's trying to say, listen, sometimes it's going to involve suffering. Sometimes it's going to involve suffering. I mean, one of the things that I just think about all the time is that Christ said, listen, they're going to hate you because they hated me. But I just see a bunch of us going around trying to make them love us trying to be like them. Jim Elliott, the, the, uh, the missionary that was in Brazil over 60 years ago, said, said that they're, they're not going to hate us. We're too much like them. They, they can't tell the difference. You know, I read a quote from a guy, John Flavel, who's a, who was a theologian in the 1600s, and he said, I wonder how many people uh, have been willed to hell uh, in the chariots of, of pleasure. Versus how many have been whipped into heaven by the rods of affliction. That's pretty good, isn't it? How many have been wheeled into hell on the chariots of of pleasure? And how many have been whipped into heaven by the rods of affliction? I mean, listen, the cross is hard. It is. It's hard. But you know what? It's also good. Okay, because without the cross, we, we have no relationship with the Almighty God. Okay, without the cross, we could never be who God intended us to be because we'd never be able to approach Him in the prayer that we talked about tonight. It's the cross that gives us our freedom. So the cross is, the cross is nothing to be afraid of. It's something that we should, we should embrace the cross. 
right? If we embrace the cross, then the number two thing that will allow us to do is it will allow us to accept the trials. Because when you embrace the cross, that's the only way you can do what Paul says here. He says, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution. There's no other way. You've got to embrace the cross and you've got to, if you see the way God sees, you'll accept the trials for what they are, part of his plan. I mean, a big part of life and seeing life as God sees life is also seeing yourself as God sees you. The Bible tells us, right, in Jeremiah that that God has a plan for us. It's a plan for future, and it's a plan for good. And I hate to tell you this, but sometimes that plan, it includes trials. It does. It's not all going to be easy. There's trials along the way. And I found some more great quotes on this. I, there were so many things I could, I, I just was cutting and cutting and cutting as I was going through this. But I love Charles Spurgeon, and he said this. He said, the worst form of trial may nevertheless be our best present portion. Our worst trial may be the best thing for us ever. He also said, if you never feel the sinking of a soul, you will never know the power of God. It's about trials, honestly. That's what Jarrett was saying. I mean, we, this is not a country club. You know, Paul's trying to get you to change the way you think. I was also reading this uh, a blog by my friend John Mazel. He wrote, and he was talking about when he was in a firefight in Vietnam at a moment when he thought he was going to die. He said he was just quoting to himself over and over from Psalm 3115. He says, my time is in your hand, Lord. My time is in your hands, Lord. He said, and then he just said, Lord, if this is the day I catch a bullet and come into your presence, my time is in your hands. He said he would then just start laughing. He said the reason he could laugh is because in that moment I could be full of joy because of the presence of Christ in my life. He was seeing things the way God sees things. He wasn't seeing them through fear. He wasn't seeing them through this uh, timid nature, worrying about what was going to happen. He was seeing it with the way God sees it. Even the song we sang that Spencer does such a great job on Christ the Long Cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord. Trials are just come with the territory. They're just part of it. Happens to everybody. Isaiah said it even happens to the toughest, right? The young. He says they're going to grow weary and faint. But if you wait on the Lord, you could add pray in there, okay? He's going to renew your strength. You have wings like eagles so that you can run and not grow weary and you can walk and not be faint. You've got to accept the trials. If you see like Christ or see like God, you'll accept the trials. And number three, you'll focus on the eternal, You'll focus on the eternal. This was my whole message when I preached at Restoration is, is living life with an eternal focus. Because listen, this world, this life goes by fast, right? It goes by fast. The Bible tells us that. It says this, that our life is like a mist. It's here one moment, then it's gone. How you live today will be a reflection of where your focus is at. Are you focused just on the here and now and what you can get out of today? Or do you have this eternal focus? Because if you have an eternal focus, it'll give you great perspective and it will give you great focus. Paul had great focus. Down there in the last part of this chapter, verse 14 of chapter 12, he says, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you. I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are, are not a obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And here's the good part. 
I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. See, because when you have an eternal focus, an eternal perspective, let me tell you, all you focus on is what matters. And Paul knew what mattered. It wasn't about him or anything else. It was about these people and their souls. That's all he cared about was serving them and going after them, loving them, treating them like, like Christ would treat them. That's all he cared about. He just had this, this laser focus on how can I live for Jesus? How can I impact souls for eternity today, every day of my life? That's all he thought about. That's how he saw life. Because you know what? That's how God sees life, isn't it? And let me tell you, if you are looking at this world today, and you're not looking at it with eternal focus, and if you're not looking at it through the eyes of God, it will never make sense. It will never make sense. So stop trying to make sense out of it, because it won't. It will never, ever make sense. And you know, the crazy thing about it is, is that Satan, he comes at us as both light and, and darkness too, doesn't he? He trips us up. We can go down these bad paths. We can follow these, these ways of the world, these other Jesuses, in so many different ways. I was, this week... Uh, talking to a very dear friend of mine who had just lost his brother after a long battle with cancer. And, and he was just having a massively hard time. He was his best friend. Talked to him every day. He said he carved out an hour of his day every day just to talk to him. And now he's got this void on his calendar. You know, and he looked at me and he said, Scott, I tell you, it's times like this, man, I just doubt God. I just doubt God. I mean, I saw my brother. He was a strong believer. I'm a believer. We prayed. We prayed. Now he's gone. Just makes me want to doubt God. And you know what? I, I, I've had that situation so many times. I've had that same discussion so many times. And honestly, I don't have a good answer. I never do. I never know exactly what to say in that moment. You know, I can talk about how he's in a better place and you know, and how he's now with his Savior and he's not suffering anymore. But it never, ever seems to do the trick. I can talk about how God is close to the brokenhearted and all these things, but it never seems to really comfort them in any kind of way. And all I could tell him is, is listen, you just can't look at this through the, the through, through an earthly focus. You got to look at it the way God looks at it. You got to see things the way God sees things. Because listen, if you're always trying to look at God through the eyes of the world, instead of looking at the world through the eyes of God, you're always going to be disappointed. You're always going to be disappointed. Hear me again. If you're looking at God through the eyes of the world, and we do that all the time, don't we? We want to just measure God up by what we see, <laughs> what's here. You know, and too often we measure it up against by churches and people. You know, we put our faith in people and churches and different things and a lot of times they disappoint us, don't they? Because we're always constantly trying to look at God through the eyes of the world. But what we really got to be doing is looking at the world through the eyes of God. Get that right here in His Word and prayer. And if you look at the world through the eyes of God, then I'll tell you, what you're going to do is you're going to embrace the cross. You embrace the cross. You're going to accept the trials when you do that. And you're going to be able to focus on the eternal. And if you think about it, it's a good way to wrap this up. If you think about both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. That's really what Paul, the whole book was trying, both books were trying to get them to do, is really just to see things the way God sees things. To stop looking at the world, you know, through the eyes of just the world. Stop trying to give in to culture. 
have the vision of God. Because if you can see things the way God sees things, it will change your focus and your perspective on everything you do in life. It will give new meaning to everything you do in life. You will have a whole new focus on where your life is headed and what it means today. And ultimately, I'm telling you, I've just seen it too many times. It will give you just the, the most abundant joy and peace that can only come from our Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much just for your words tonight, Lord. Thank you for, for Scripture, God, what it, what it tells us about you and, and life and how we should see things. God, I pray that you would give us your vision. Lord, I pray that we would see this world and the people around us and, Lord, what's before us through your eyes. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Lord, I pray that you would just give us purpose. Lord, take away the distractions of this world. Take away all the things that keep us from you, Lord. Let us be dead set on one thing, Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.